0: If you want to make a bold, black-and-white statement about the Buccaneers this morning, it's hard to do that because it played Joe Barry.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore dadam. So the, uh, the rest of the world has caught up with Packer fans and is beginning to look into the Packers defense and is sharing in the frustration. The little clip you heard to start off was Chris Long. Now, the whole thing wasn't about Joe Barry, obviously, but he threw a little shot at him, basically saying the, the, the whole point of what he's saying that people need to do a better job of is context, which round of applause to me for hammering that point this year. But it's funny that the first example he comes up with is Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield had a great week. Everybody throw him a parade. And his thought is, hold on, slow down. We shouldn't do that. Why? Context. What context? He played against Joe Barry. (laughs) He didn't say the Packers defense. He said Joe Barry. Then, just as I was prepping to do this, I had um, Adam Magana. Hope I'm saying that right on Twitter. Hit me up. He tagged me in a Dan Orlovsky thing. Now, obviously, this is visual, but there are benefits to hearing what he's saying without even seeing the visual. I'm going to play it. It's two minutes. Here's what Dan Orlovsky had to say about the exact play that everybody has looked at 7,000 times. And I want to talk about it after because it's kind of funny, because it's almost as if there's a lazy reaction, then there's context, and then there's context to the context. And I've kind of already alluded to this before. I've, I've, I've mentioned it. But let's play the video first, I, right? You know, again, you're just getting the audio. You can find this on social media if you want to see it. But just listen to what he's saying. It tells you everything you need to know.
0: Again, another example, Green Bay defensively, of what many people, certainly the fans, are frustrated about with their defense. This is the first third down of the game. So this is a very game plan specific, you've prepared all week for this situation type of call. This isn't an in-game adjustment. Tampa Bay comes out, Mike by himself, okay? And then four strong. They're going to motion and kick outside of Mike. So they're basically an empty. Mike is in the slot. Now Green Bay is going to play coverage and roll over the top and play essentially two man or two, excuse me, to Mike Evans' side. Totally fine. Get that. You know, they've got this defender, that nickel defender, hands-on, safety plays over the top. It looks like they're playing some type of like cover six cloud or cover six where it's cover two backside and then some type of a cover three zone or quarter. I don't know exactly what this plays out to be, but here's my issue. So it's third and four. Okay, so if you want to kick to Mike Evans' side, completely understood. It's third and four. You essentially have one, two, three, four dedicated to Mike Evans' side and two guys dedicated to the three-man surface and absolutely no restriction. Baker could have thrown it to anybody and it would have been a completion, bottom of the screen. But that's the story. Third down, no challenge, no restriction. So everyone talks about the first round talent and at times it's warranted. I just don't know how often they're given the chance to play. No one, it's third and four. No one's remotely close to Chris Godwin, an all-pro wideout.
2: So that's the that's the entirety of it. So he, here's essentially, and, and you could probably go through every single one of these plays, and it's a very similar situation. But as you know, there's been a big divide between is it the players or is it the D.C.? And of course, the answer is both to some degree. But the funny thing about the context is there's there's like layers to it. So a lot of times there are sort of lazy gut reactions, right? This was bad because blah, 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 blah. whatever. It, it doesn't, like, nobody's there, whatever. The context answer a lot of times will correct that gut reaction. And a lot of times what it'll be is somebody that actually understands the scheme, who under, who, who you know looks at tape or however you want to phrase that without sounding whatever, watches the tape. I don't know why I feel weird saying that as if it needs to be some kind of official thing done by an official person. But anyways, and they'll correct that person and be like, well, you got to understand, like, based on the scheme, this person was supposed to do this and this person was supposed to do that. And so, for example, Quay Walker was supposed to be here instead of there. Now, that's true, but a lot of times what's untrue is the leap then from, therefore, it's a player issue. Uh, uh, Uh-uh-uh, hold on. You got us to this point where you demonstrated the player didn't exactly do what they were supposed to do in this situation. But you can't quite make that leap. Here's why. How many of you have power drills? When we bought our new house, the um, old owners of this place were super cool. The guy actually works for Milwaukee Tools. And um, he left us a housewarming gift, and it was a bag of Milwaukee tools. And one of them was actually an impact driver. Now, I'm never going to use an impact driver, but I turned it into a screwdriver. Yes, I know you have to be careful. A lot of, lot of power to that thing. I sh- shut up. I know what I'm doing. Today, one of the tasks that I had is my wife, um, she got me an early Christmas present. It's one of those. It's kind of for me, but it's it's for you, so don't worry about it. And they were ring doorbells. We've been talking about getting them for years and years and years, and we just keep putting it off, and she went and bought them and got me f- that for Christmas, and I got an early Christmas present. But I had to go hook them up. They're all battery, so it was real easy. I don't have to wire anything, which is fantastic, because I didn't want to do that anyways. And it's pretty easy. All you got to do is rip the back off, and it's a little... And then you mount the back to it, and then you snap the thing back on. Now, imagine for a second, and let's say that there's these screws, and they are, you know, the the Phillips heads on the screws. But all I have is a slotted screwdriver and you have to hold the bracket and hold the screw and try to screw this into your uh, paneling on the side of your house, which isn't even level. So you got to do like two of them, but you got to, you know, you got to hold the screw. You got to hold this thing. You got to hold the screwdriver. You got to try to push it in. Keep it straight, though. It sounds like it's going to be a disaster, right? The thing's going to go crooked. The the screw is probably not going to go in straight. It's hard to put a lot of force into the screw because then it's going to want to go to the side and then you're going to stab yourself in the finger. It's 17 degrees outside, so you're super pissed because that hurt twice as bad because your hands are freezing. You drop the ring doorbell, you shatter the freaking thing. It's a disaster. Now, is it true that you completely botched installing the ring doorbell? Yes, it is. Is it also true that if you were given the proper tools that that probably wouldn't have happened? Yes, it is. So, for example, I had my wife help me by holding the bracket exactly where she wanted it. I poked a hole in it to start so that it already was able to get in, you know, a little pilot hole. And I used an automatic drill so that it has more force behind it. It also just has more weight, so when I push, it just kind of automatically pushes a little bit harder. I'm also using a Phillips uh, screw, a uh, drill bit as opposed to a Phillips. I mean, as opposed to a slotted one. And so go figure, instead of just everything falling all over and smashing all over the place, it goes in nice and smooth and it's the easiest little setup in the world. So is it true that I botched it in that other scenario? Yes. Is it also true that the reason I botched it is because I was given bullcrap tools to do the job? Yes. That's the entire situation here. The player's on many occasions, and sometimes it's just scheme, but on many occasions, you can look at it and say the player should have played that tighter, he should have played it this, he should have been off more he shouldn't have gone he shouldn't have been so wide or so deep or so shallow or so narrow he shouldn't have been peeking in the background he shouldn't have been shouldn't have been shouldn't have been shouldn't have been shouldn't have been, shouldn't have been. well, it's interesting to find out that every other defense players are perfect all the time, every other good defense perfect play across the board, or they're being given the right tools. Maybe our guys are being stressed too much because they're being put in disadvantageous situations. I've talked about this before with the whole, um, when we did uh, chalk wars, we had uh coach on and I'm blanking on his name. Now it's been so long, <laughs> but two very, very smart guys, especially when it comes to scheme. we got one guy that's more offense and one guy that's more defense. And all they did is they would essentially call plays and then kind of flip it over and, and reveal what play they called. And you can tell prior to the players ever even being on the field, because in, in our situation, there were no players anywhere who won, which was a revelation to me because it, it, it dawned on me that the game, I don't want to say it's decided, but there is an element to the play being decided before the ball is ever snapped. And I think as fans, we don't think that's the case. We think that nothing has been decided. And once the ball is snapped, it's entirely down to the players to do the right thing. That's not true. The play, to some degree, has largely been decided before the ball has ever been snapped. And the only question is, can the team that has been put in a disadvantageous situation, and no doubt one of these two has largely probably been put in a disadvantageous situation, can they overcome that and win despite being put in a bad situation? And of course, there's varying degrees to this. Some of them might actually be kind of close to 50-50, and it really is down to the players. But I'm guessing that's pretty rare. It might be 55-45, it might be 60-40, it might be 25-75, it could be 90-10. And so there is a question, but there's also a more detailed question. The question is, did the players execute? The more detailed question is, and I think what would be more interesting, although we have no way at this point of, you know, determining this, how well did you execute compared to expectations? Think how many different metrics are compared to expectations. Completion percentage over-expected. Right, DVOA is entirely built on expectations. We don't do that for offensive and defensive play calling, but we could if we had two people sit down and say, this is the offensive play call, this is the defensive play call. A lot of times we don't know, even after watching it. A lot of times, like in this situation, he's saying, I don't have no idea what they were doing here. But if you could do that, you could look at it and say, there is only a 42% chance that the defense wins in this situation. We look at it and see that the players didn't execute. The players didn't execute. The players didn't execute. The players didn't execute. Maybe the players are constantly being put in 30 and 40% situations. Now, yes, it's possible that they're being put in 60% situations. In other words, 60% likely that they do succeed and they can't do it because they just suck. But the the bottom line is just looking at it and saying the players didn't maximize what they were supposed to do, given the call, I understand. But but given the call is my problem. My question isn't did they operate perfectly from within the call that was that what was called. My question is should this have been called? Is there a better call for this situation? Here, here's a very simple question, and and I'd love to have, um, you know, s- somebody that's very adept at, at at these types of things. I'd love to have, for for example, just to go through the Tampa Bay game and say, okay. What was the play that was called? And they draw it out, and they're like, okay, this is zippity-flip-flop, 2X, x bd pidoo ba out." alright cool. What's the best play call for this situation? Or what, what kinds of things are we looking for to stop this? Okay, is that what we did? Okay, what are some of the worst calls for this? Is that what we did? It would just be interesting to look at it from that perspective. The thing that we did, is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's all I want to know. But the fact of the matter is, we've watched this defense for so many years, it's 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 just silly to me to assume that Joe Barry is constantly putting us in positions to succeed and guys aren't executing. I know it happens sometimes. I know Joe Barry sometimes calls the right play. And once in a while, in that situation, players make mistakes. I mean, duh. There, there, how many hundreds of play calls have there been? Of course there's situations where players dropped the ball and Joe Barry called the exact right call. That's not my qu- I'm talking big picture, right? Hundreds of defensive play calls. I want to see big picture. And, and that's why I said I've given up on the defense, because I feel as though I have seen big picture. I'd love to be able to see it up close and personal, because it's possible I'm wrong. It's very unlikely, given the body of information. But it's possible. But again, that's why I say I've seen enough. Because we have such a massive body of data. I don't know what else to think at this point than these guys have been put in inopportune situations. And again, I'm sure you can go watch that video that I just played and you can pick out players that could have done things a little bit better, that maybe if they had done this or maybe if they had done that, that they could have found a way to break up this play. That isn't my question, though. That's not the information I care about. What I want to know is Are the players in the best possible situation to make a play? That's the first question. If not, the defensive coordinator is to blame. I don't care if the players made the right or wrong decision. If yes, then we can move on to the players and who messed up. But there is a prerequisite that constantly gets ignored, and it constantly just gets split in half, so that if a player makes a mistake, the DC didn't. It's nonsense. First, demonstrate it was the right call. Then we can talk about players. But again, I just think that that's a missing part of the conversation as a whole. And again, the bottom line is, as I look at this play, it never was going to work, just like he said. It's like, well, Quay shouldn't have been, he should have been closer to the middle of the field. First of all, it wouldn't have mattered. As was pointed out, he was probably told to shade to the side of the elite wide receiver. But even if he wasn't, you know what happens if you move him over? Mike Evans is open because he wraps around the corner toward the middle of the field. In fact, honestly, where Quay is, he probably could have thrown it to Mike Evans also. He probably still could have fit it into Mike Evans, and he could have thrown it to two other guys. And do you know why? It's because we have one, two, three guys that have taken themselves out of the play. It is a third and four, and of these three guys, let me see here. He is at the 20... No, I'm sorry, the uh, 15 six He's at the 17-yard line. The first down marker is at the 27-yard line. So, he is, so the closest of the three deep players is 10 yards off. We have three to def- four defenders that are up close and five receivers attacking this area. But again, we have a 3 on 2 to one side and essentially a 1 on 3 to the other side. And the other issue is Baker Mayfield took a half a second. I mean, let me let me actually time how long it took him to get this ball out. It was just a shade over 2 seconds. I have it at 2.15 seconds. He knew where he's going with the ball. I mean, it's as simple as watch Quay. If Quay drifts to the uh, offensive right, he throws it to Mike Evans. If he drifts to the other side, he throws it to one of the other two guys. It was just, it was it was too easy. I mean, it's not hard to look at a situation in which we have three guys covering nobody by the time the ball comes out. Remember how I just said last night, our defense, I wasn't the first one that said it, I forgot who it was, but I think it was uh, Pedro from Brazil said, it feels like we're playing with 10 guys on defense. Well, in this case, we were, essentially playing with 8. And it's such an absurd thing because, you know, how many times do you get frustrated because um you know, we 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 don't bring extra rushers, but we also don't seem to be able to cover. It's like how is that possible? If you drop this many guys and you only rush 4, you should be able to cover. Well, you know why they can't? It's because three guys were taken out of the play. So really you're, drush, you're rushing 4 and dropping 4. That puts you at 8. I don't care how many you drop, how many How many are you dropping that are actually useful? That's why there's no pass rush and no coverage in a game, because they're not rushing anybody. And they're dropping a bunch of guys, but half of the guys that drop, drop so far out of the freaking game that they're not useful. Anyways, um, I think what I want to do is, we'll take a break. I want to start dabbling a little bit in defensive coordinators and I want to do something I don't think I've done before rather than compiling somebody else's list which I've already done. I have a list that I went and found online, not a list but a bunch of lists. Put them into a list. Anyways, I want to go about it a, a, a different way rather than using everybody else's list cuz I think some of it's dumb. I, I I I made the mistake of actually reading some of the reasons why and it's like what are you talking about? Like that's not a reason. Like there was a Bears website that was like Who should replace the Bears defensive coordinator? All right, cool. You got a list of defensive coordinators here. And it's like all former, like Lovey Smith and like, okay, all right. So this isn't like the actual four best that you could find. This is just like, and so there were four guys. One of them was Lovey Smith. And then there were two other guys. And it was in both cases. Yeah, they retired from coaching, but you should probably call them and just see if they'd be willing to come back. Like, oh my good Lord. But um, yeah, we're going to, we're going to find our own. How about that? How's that sound? Sound good? All right. We will take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us.
3: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting.
0: Go to your happy place for a happy
1: price. Go to your happy price, Priceline.
2: So here's what I want to do. A couple different things. Um, I just want to find the best of the best. And that doesn't mean that all the credit should go to the coaches. It doesn't mean that. But it's not a bad starting ground and a way to identify some people. And then we can dig from there to learn a little bit more about them. So for example... One easy, low-hanging fruit option is to just find the best defense and try to poach from it. So most people do anyways. I find it to be lazy, but it's a good starting point. And at the end of the day, it doesn't hurt because it's the same philosophy as a lot of other things where it's like, okay, you're the Miami Dolphins offensive coordinator. Um, I don't know if you're any good at being an offensive coordinator, but I would assume if I wanted to be the Miami Dolphins, Uh, uh, you know, considering I can't hire the current head coach, you would be the next guy that I'd want to talk to in terms of making that happen. Like on planet Earth, you might be the next best guy. What is going on? Someone's at the front door. Oh, it's my wife. It's a whole ring doorbell thing. Oh, hi. Part of that was a little Alexa show thing, so I can see the. I should probably hang this up. Alexa, go home. Anyways, so the number one defense currently via DVOA is the Cleveland Browns. Now, this is kind of interesting because there's essentially two ways that we can dig into this. Number one is, like I said, with the Miami thing, which is, I don't know what you know about anything. I don't really care. The bottom line is you were in the room when the game plans were being made, when you were in there with that freaking wizard, and I want you to bring that wizardry to us. That would have to almost apply here. Here's the reason I say that. If I go and look at the players, the other way to do it would be to because we're we're not looking at the defensive coordinator. We're looking at the people under the defensive coordinator. I'm looking at the the safeties coach, the defensive line coach, etc. And I want to see the work you've done. I want to see where you've bringing brought these guys to life. Now that's even that is kind of a terrible way of doing it because I can find a defensive line coach that made a great impact along the defensive line, and that's cool. But what in the world does that have anything to do with being a defensive coordinator? Not much, I mean, it goes to coaching, which is a good thing. We have questions about that with Joe Barry, and the ability to translate what I want you to do into action on the field and potentially goes to motivation potentially outside of that though, your ability to draw up an entire game plan to to deconstruct an offense in its entirety, not just an offensive line, an entire offense, and their tendencies and break that down in such a way that you can construct a defensive game plan and attack that that offense and then you know, call plays, and also the, the structuring of the practices and everything. Like, it's a whole other animal. We'll, we'll leave that in the past. We'll just forget about that, which is why this is a fruitless effort <laughs> to begin with. There is no way to do this that is satisfactory. But those are, those are the two ways that I can see it. Find the best defenses, find a piece that's there, and grab them. Or find somebody who did magic at a position. There isn't that guy in Cleveland, the, the, the magic guy. That was my initial thing is I'm going to go there. I'm going to find there's nothing. There's nothing in Cleveland. Let's go through it real quick. Let's let's look at the different options in Cleveland, okay? Um, we got Jim Schwartz, who is the mastermind behind it, and I think he deserves a lot of credit. Why? Because I'm looking at a team that is not have a lot of great components. I mean, Miles Garrett is fantastic, but it's not like just great across the board. We'll get into it Anyways. Defensive quality control, I can't exactly tell you. I'm guessing that's not the guy you want to hire. They have him number two on this list, but I'm guessing he's at the bottom of the pecking order. I don't know. Maybe he's great. Jeff Anderson, maybe he's the guy. Whatever. That's, then there is Ephraim Banda, who is the safeties coach. So I'm looking at the safeties, right? And I'm thinking, okay, there might be something here because these guys actually grayed out kind of well. Uh, we got Ronnie Hickman Jr., who's played seven games, as an 84 grade, and DeAnthony Bell, Nine games, 79.8 grade. Well, <clears throat> let's go through these guys here. Martin Emerson Jr. is a uh oh wait, that's old, old tabs. We're we're getting we're jumping to the corners. Ronnie Hickman, there we go. Safety. He's got an 84 grade, right? That's entirely based on these last two games. His grades are 47, 63, 63, 63, 60, and then 72, 91. Even if we wanted to give him credit because this is when he actually started playing, I can't because it's too small of a sample size. All right, what about De'Anthony Bell? Exact same situation. He hasn't done anything. He hasn't done anything. He started one game against Chicago. So that brings us to Grant Delpit. Grant Delpit was a second-round pick. You probably remember the name if you've been involved in the draft or anything like that, or even if not, very, very big name. Um, he, had, he does have a 70 defensive grade, which is a big jump from the last two years. But even if we look at that and are impressed by that, his grades on a week-to-week basis suck. He has four good games. Three of them are basically elite, though. Here are his grades. 91, 90, 67, 48, 46, 53, 73, 84, 51, 54, 57, 56, 65. Bottom line, on a game-to-game basis, you cannot rely on Grant Delpin. I, 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 I would rather have a guy that is consistently good than somebody who is elite four times a year and sucks the rest of the year, and that's Grant Delpin. This isn't good. Then you have Juan Thornhill, another second-round pick. He was in Kansas City for a long time, came over to Cleveland. His grades went backwards. This is his lowest coverage grade of his entire career. Last year, he had a 75 coverage grade. He doesn't have a single game, not a single game that is at a 75. All right, so that ain't it. How about Ben Bloom, the defensive line coach? Now, that does include the edge rushers, and obviously Miles Garrett and Zadarius are there, but I'm not giving Ben Bloom credit for Miles Garrett and Zadarius Smith. So, what about the other guys? Well, we've got uh, Maurice Hurst, who um, is having a decent year in Cleveland. He's got an 81 grade, but again, it's all just elite games. He's four elite games. Four. Aside from that, it was 50, 60, 40, 50, 60, 60, 60, 60, 70. And they had three games that are 80s, 90s. One good game, about half the rest are, are average, and the rest are below that. I mean, this, this is not good. I mean, the, the, the majority of his games are just average at best. You could look at Zadarius Smith. He took a big jump backwards from last year. 83 grade, dropped down to a 76. His run defense went from a 72 down to a 58. His pass rush from an 85 down to an 80. His tackling went from a 60 to a 38. Now, maybe some of that is Zedarius, but I'm just trying to find a single reason to be excited about Ben Bloom. So I don't want to spend all day just talking about these, but th- this is the point, right? It's just, it's a lot of this. The corners, not a single good corner. In fact, the the Brandon Lynch, the cornerback coach, I mean, my goodness, um, Denzel Ward and uh, Greg Newsom in particular are damning because these are two first round picks and neither of them are producing right now. They're both in the 60s. These are two guys that are first-round picks, and neither of them are, are any good at anything. Interestingly enough, do you know who I pick if I had to, assuming Jim Schwartz is not available? Probably Brandon Lynch, the cornerback's coach. The only reason I say that is because if I'm going to... And again, there's there's such an unbelievable amount of data that I don't have at my disposal. So this is not anything official. This is just... With the very limited amount of data I have, who do I pick? Because I'm going to Cleveland, not looking for a guy that really dominates in terms of making guys into beasts, making them into animals, making them so much better than they were, which is what I would love to have. What do I want? I want a guy with a lot of experience. I want a guy that's been around for a while. And also, former football player. I don't think that's a bad thing, especially when you're trying to get the locker room squared away, getting a former... former um. Football player that that played on Super Bowl winning teams, the Colts in 2006, for example. Now his coaching has been kind of a long journey. He started as an intern in 2010 and whatnot. But again, long playing career. Immediately went from in 2009 he played for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders as a safety. The very next year he jumped into coaching, NFLPA coaching intern, and he's been doing it ever since. That's where I would lean if I had to. But what I'd really probably rather do is just move on to the next best team, which is the Baltimore Ravens. Their defensive coordinator is Mike McDonald. Mike McDonald, by the way, this is just his second year as a defensive coordinator. That's why I get excited about some of these young up-and-coming guys as opposed to uh, finding the retreads who have been defensive coordinators six different times. But he was a linebacker's coach for Baltimore, and then he went to college for a year, came back as the defensive coordinator, and has produced one of the better defenses in football for a long time. Now, when you look at this defense... Good amount of talent here i mean if if we kind of round up a little bit, um Kyle van Noy has a sixty eight point five p f f grade let's call that good. He is the fifteenth highest graded defensive player on this team. There's a lot of talent here, so there's kind of a pile of of people that you could possibly look at um I don't want to kind of give it away, but I am going to narrow it down a little bit. We've got a defensive backs coach. And we've got a um uh, pass game coordinator slash secondary coach. So if I'm falling in love with the DBs, I'm going with the guy with the higher title. That's just how it's gonna go. So sorry to um Denard Wilson, but you know, we're going with the whole pass game coordinator thing. But what is Chris Hewitt, the DB's coach, pass game coordinator, secondary guy, whatever? What's on his resume? Well, the first one that stands out is Kyle Hamilton. Now, he was a first-round pick. He's an absolute freak, but they've made the best out of that. 2022, he had an 87.6 grade. This year, it did drop to an 81.6, but that's entirely because of run defense. His coverage actually went up from an 83 to an 84. His run defense has just taken a bit of a hit. But there's also Geno Stone with a 75 grade, also a safety, another safety by the name of Marcus Williams with a 74 grade. And then Daryl Worley uh, with a 70 grade. He hasn't played very much, though, so we don't need to worry about that. I think you could also argue that uh, Marlon Humphrey at corner has been pretty solid. He's had some down years, including this year, which is filled with injury, though, which doesn't necessarily. But, you know, last year, 77 grade, 76 coverage grade. I mean, solid football player at corner. That was a first-round pick, and they're getting, from my estimation, first-round pick value slightly below, I think, what we've been getting from Jair, which I know would make everybody angry because apparently Jair's not good. But I think Marlon Humphrey's good. I think Jair's slightly better. So honestly, I think Chris Hewitt is an option. He is 49 years old, but he's never been a defensive coordinator before. He was a player back in the 90s, 1997 to 1999. Started working as a coach for the first time in 2003 at Notre Dame, then went to Rutgers, got a job at Baltimore 2012, and has been working his way up ever since. He was DB coach from 2012 to 2019, then got promoted to past defense coordinator 2020 and 2021, and then past coordinator and secondary coach 2022 to present. Here's the other thing. There's another guy. I might just skip some of these other names because th- there's there's really only two. When you see guys like that start to get promotions that are somewhat redundant, they're trying as hard as they can to keep him around. They promoted him from pass defense coordinator to pass game coordinator and secondary coach. Bro, that's the same title. It's the same thing. And they got somebody technically working under him as the, what, the DB coach or something. This is a talented dude that they don't want leaving. Now, without delving real into it, you got Zachary Orr, inside linebacker coach. I'm kind of Shaken up about that with our current situation. But you look at the transformation of Roquan Smith when he went from where he was to where he is. He was not very good with the Bears. He might be the best linebacker in football right now after he went to Baltimore. Zachary Orr needs to be potentially in consideration. And then I have one more really big um, reason to pay attention to Zachary Orr. And this wasn't even the guy. I was just going to mention this as an aside. And now as I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, dude, I don't know. This guy's freaking crazy. So we all know about Patrick Queen, right? I've been picking on Patrick Queen since forever. Absolute terrible football player. 29 PFF grade as a rookie. 43 PFF grade in year two. Zachary Orr got to Baltimore in 2022. It jumped up to a 70. This year, 77.4. He has a 75 run defense grade, a 72 pass rush grade, and a 74 coverage grade. Now we can say, well... Maybe that's just natural progression. He just got better every year. He continues to get better. He's obviously got talent, and he's just had taken time. Maybe, but he went from garbage to good. The two years without Zachary Orr, terrible. The two years with Zachary Orr, very good. And again, Roquan, the second he went to Baltimore, went from massively overrated to this guy's a freaking stud. And this is, I would assume, the best linebacking group in football right now. So that needs to be in consideration. There's also Chuck Smith, the outside linebacker coach, who I was planning on skipping, but it is worth noting. Um, Odafe Owe. So this is his first year, Chuck Smith, as the outside linebacker coach. He is a former player, by the way. First year as an outside linebacker's coach. Odafe Owe has been here for, been in Baltimore for three years 67.9 grade, 60 grade in his second year, 81.4 in year three. This entire team is just blowing up, man. Everybody is just getting it done. What I was trying to get to, I was just trying to skip over those guys. Anthony Weaver. When I first went through this, I'm like, dude, there's no defensive line coach. What the heck is going on here? The reason I couldn't find him is because the defensive line coach is Anthony Weaver, and his official title is assistant head coach slash defensive line. What I want to find is an elite defense that has a guy with the title of assistant head coach slash, I don't care. It could be anything. Because assistant head coach is simply that title that says, you're really good, and people are offering you to go bye-bye. And in order to get you to not look at those offers, we want to give you a significant pay raise and a title that says assistant head coach. Now, maybe that's not the case every time. That could be their way of trying to get them out the door, like, hey, you're a really good dude. We think you're talented. We want to give you more responsibilities. So they, whatever. But the bottom line is, it's still kind of the same thing. Whether or not the offers are coming in or not, the bottom line is they're doing this for one person, and they're giving them the role of assistant head coach. Now, is there anything special about the interior defensive line, which I don't know that that's exactly what this is. It could be the rushers as well. Not really. They have good defensive linemen, um, but there's nothing necessarily that shows like when he got here, things changed dramatically. But with that being said, Justin Madbuike is a great defensive lineman, um, Who else do they got? Oh, Michael Pierce is still out there, just tearing it up. He's done that multiple places. He did that in Baltimore prior to Anthony Weaver, whatever. But um, you know, if we just look at his resume again, former all of their coaches are former players, which is crazy. All of their coaches are getting the absolute best out of their players because all their players are playing at an unbelievably high level right now. It's incredible how many good players they have, and that's that. When I say good players, I mean. That's a combination of players that are just good no matter what and players that have never been good that are suddenly good because of either the situation, the scheme, the coaching, whatever. But he played for the Baltimore Ravens in 2002 through 2005. First of all, handful of really solid defenses at that time. Then he went to the Texans 2006, 7 and 8. After that he started his coaching journey, Florida graduate assistant, then he went to North Texas, then he ended up with the Jets in 2012 assistant defensive line coach. Buffalo Bills, 2013 defensive line coach. By the way, I would not mind having a defensive line coach as a defensive coordinator. I'm just saying. We have a lot of talent along that defensive line. And if we can get Kenny Clark, I know he's getting toward the end of his career, but you get that guy back to being what he can be and get the best out of Wyatt and get these two young rookies going as best. I mean, as good as they're already playing as rookies. Jeez. Anyways, uh, Cleveland Browns, then Houston Texans. He actually did have a brief stint, Houston Texans defensive coordinator and defensive line coach in 2020, but he ended up getting hired by the Baltimore Ravens in 2021. He was the defensive line coach and run game coordinator, and then after one year, got a promotion to assist associate head coach and defensive line coach. So I'll tell you what, you grab pretty much anybody and I, I, from Baltimore, and I feel like I'm, I'm relatively optimistic about the situation. You're going to get a former player... From an unbelievable culture, you got guys that have demonstrated the ability to, first of all, put together a winning football team, a cohesive team, but also the ability to get the best out of your players, which is what we've been lacking. So, without elaborating even more, and of course, there's multiple coaches on multiple teams that we don't need to dive down. Um, just trying to find like where I would go to first if I had to find a head coach or a defensive coordinator. Find a good defense. I'm gonna skip Cleveland for all the reasons I cited. I just, I don't know. Baltimore, though, feels real. It's not just, well, we have Miles Garrett and he tears everybody's head off and then we're good at stuff. With a good defensive coordinator currently that's able to mitigate the problems that we have elsewhere. But nobody else on the staff could probably figure that out. But you got Anthony Weaver. If you don't like the fact that the interior defensive linemen guys are not blowing it up, and he was a defensive coordinator for a year and it wasn't the best situation, which probably can't be entirely blamed on him when you look at the pieces that he had, the situation he was thrust into and only having one year. But I think my next option would probably be to go down to Chris Hewitt, who is the pass game coordinator slash secondary coach. Another guy that keeps getting redundant promotion, but um, has not been a defensive coordinator, has demonstrated the ability to coach guys like Kyle Hamilton, one of the better safeties in football. And if you didn't like that, then I think, honestly, Zachary Orr, the inside linebackers coach, that is really impressive. The other thing I like about Zach Orr is that he's just 31 years old. Now, I know that doesn't have to be a good thing, but you want to talk about a fast rise. Check this out. He was a Baltimore Ravens football player, linebacker, in 2016. He was an undrafted free agent in 2014, played 2014 through 2016 as a Baltimore Ravens. 2016, when it was done, he immediately jumped back in with the Baltimore Ravens as a defensive analyst, which is a fantastic job. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like this is going to be the guy. Titles aside, this guy gets me so excited. He jumps in as a defensive analyst, which means what? His job is to do what? Break down tape, right? It's to do defensive coordinator grunt work. Tendencies things of that nature. He did it for 2017, 2018, 2019, and 2020. Four years doing that for the Baltimore Ravens, a very good defense. So he played in Baltimore, so he understands the culture, the coaching, all that kind of stuff. Then he jumps in as a defensive analyst for the Baltimore Ravens, does it for four years. Then he gets a crack as a coach. He has a coaching job with the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2021, outside linebackers coach. I want to go look at this because I swear, I'm telling you, if there's anything that suggests that there was a blip or a bump for the Jaguars' outside linebackers, I'm done. I'm not looking at another team. I don't care. I want Zach Orr. Don't care how irrational that is. Uh, it's it's a flimsy case, but you could make a case. So Josh Allen didn't break out until 2021. Now, you could say that Zach Allen helped him. Now, remember, he's an inside linebacker, not necessarily outside linebacker, but still. He didn't have his breakout until 2021, and that was the year Zach Orr was there. Now, he has continued that and has continued to get better every single year, uh, Josh Allen has, but you know, we could always say it was, it was what he taught him, whatever. I, I, don't, I don't know. It's, it's flimsy, but it was only a year. Bottom line is, though, look at how fast he rises. He's playing football in 2016. The Baltimore Ravens decide to hire him, some undrafted free agent nobody, as their defensive analyst. In four years, he gets a job as the outside linebacker's coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Why would that even happen? Would you trust your pass rushers with a former player who's been an analyst for four years? He's de- Think about how many of these guys have been like coaching outside linebackers for 17 years, going all through college, learning how to be a coach. The Jaguars trusted him with their pass rushers. Why would you do that? Unless somebody from Baltimore went to Jacksonville and said, this guy's coming with me, which is entirely possible. Anyways, One year there as the outside linebackers coach. And what do the Ravens do? They hire him back. 2022, make him the inside linebacker coach. He's been doing it for two years. You don't think this guy's about to get a promotion? I'd be shocked if he's an inside linebackers coach again. He's a fast riser, man. He's moving. And look how good the inside linebackers are. Somebody's going to hire him. If he does, if the Ravens don't want to promote him to a job internally, he's getting a job somewhere else. I don't know if it's defensive coordinator. Maybe it's run game coordinator slash linebackers coach. One of those kinds of things. I don't know. He is not going to have the year that he's having with linebackers and be stuck there as an inside linebackers coach for another year. Do you want to make the leap to defensive coordinator? I don't know, but I am tempted because these are the kinds of guys that just skyrocket and only one team is going to be lucky enough to grab them up. Now, the unfortunate thing is it's a high risk, low reward insofar as if you're successful, they're going to be a head coach in a year or two, but whatever, man, such is life. It'd be great to have him come here, hire an entirely new staff, and then we can start the process of promoting from within and all that kind of. But you you get him here, you build the culture, you you you, you implement a scheme, you just set the foundation. And if somebody wants to hire him as a head coach, as a defensive coordinator, then God bless and good luck to you. Um, but hopefully, we have the tools to to continue building internally with that system. By the way, he is the um, son of former Washington Redskins tight end Terry Orr. He has three brothers, all of whom played college football. Older brother Terrence, who played at Texas State, younger brother Nick, who played at TCU, and youngest brother Chris, who currently plays for the New Jersey Generals of the USFL. Oh, and get this. He retired from the NFL because um, it was revealed that if Orr had taken a hit to his neck because he had some kind of a, a rare spinal condition, that his C1 could explode and result in his death. So he knew about the condition. Apparently, he didn't realize how serious it was. He played for several years and then had to get out. But yeah, man, I mean, this is pretty sweet. And I'm sure there's a lot of great ones out there, but these are the kinds of guys that get me excited. Again, the only thing that bothers me is the inside linebacker thing, which is stupid. But I mean, it's just, it it checks every freaking box. I I love the culture of the AFC North in general, but the Baltimore Ravens right now, you know, I, I guess Cleveland too, kind of, but... If I had to pick, I'd pick Baltimore. I love the culture. Defensively, I love the culture because it's a defensive culture. You You got John Harbaugh over there. You got, you know, I don't know. I just, I just, I like, just pick somebody in Baltimore. I don't care. That's the bottom line. Tell you what, why don't we take our final break? We'll come back and let's get to a couple calls. Sound good? Good. We'll take a break. We'll be right back.
1: Hey, Ryan. Pac-Man, Jersey, Jim. Um, Just got done watching most of that uh, re-watching, rather, that uh, Packers game. I got uh, caught up watching the bills cowgirls deal at the same time. (laughs) Figured to give you a call because I was tired of looking at uh, Greg Olson and his uh, 1970s Anchorman haircut. You get it? Um, From what I can see, it's uh, it's the defense. Not the players, per se, but... I would definitely uh, consider getting rid of Joe Barry at this point. Uh, honestly, uh, I'd rather have Mike Patton back. Oh, um, I agree. Maybe, maybe you the can the take point. a survey and ask everybody, all the Packer fans, what it's they would like idea. for Christmas. And they'd probably be pretty much on my boat with that because this is just ridiculous. <laughs> anyway,
4: Joe Pack, go.
2: I thought you were going to say do a Twitter poll on would you rather have Pettin or Barry, which would be a good idea. And I I mean, the recency bias would probably mean Pettin would win by itself. If it was reversed, it would probably be Joe Barry. But um, I think you can make a pretty strong case that things were better with Pettin, which was my biggest fear in general of moving on, um, which, you know, again, is not a reason not to move on. But um, that's always just a fear of mine because there there's always just so much I don't know. I, I I just feel like there's not a proper understanding, or at least that's my interpretation of how bad things can really get. And it makes me nervous about things to come, but whatever. It is what it is.
4: You know, hey, uh, Ryan. Ryan Santos. Man. What's up? Um, I'm sure you already know what I want to say, because I'm sure everyone before me has called to say the same I, Damn thing. That's
2: a hundred percent correct. But I
4: really don't say it too often. You know. I agree with them, but I don't really say it too often. And sometimes it's like why well, call out the obvious, right? With Joe Barry, man. This 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 has to stop. You know. I we've sat through the Don Capers days and Don Capers was probably fired three four years, way too late. But yeah. this is just a different kind of feel, man. This is just uh you know,
2: well, and I'll just take this opportunity to remind everybody Dom Capers had nobody to work with. So as much as I was fed up with Dom Capers, he didn't have any players, man. He really didn't. Um, maybe one or two at a time. You know, I mean, he had Mike Daniels. And it's about it. So I almost feel like we owe him an apology, but, you know, whatever.
4: I, You know, I, I, I can't really pinpoint it. But you know it when you see it. You feel it when you see it. And it's just, this isn't working. Yeah, This is not working. And I don't want to hear that we don't have the players. Because most defense, you, you, you don't need, the top 10 defense, you don't need a bunch of first-round picks on the offensive line.
2: You don't need- well, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, what did we just talk about prior to this? Cleveland is the number one defense. And what is the issue with Cleveland? None of their players are good. You've got two good pass rushers, and that's basically it. So I don't want any of their coaches because ultimately you have a bunch of coaches, you know, position coaches that are doing nothing to get the best out of their players. Like the players individually are not grading out well at all, but you have a defensive coordinator that is making the best out of the situation at hand. Seemingly, I mean, that's, that's the picture that I'm, that I'm seeing. So I, yeah, I mean, you can make the excuse if you want, and you can say Rashawn Gary isn't Miles Garrett. That's fine. I don't mind a- acknowledging that. But Rashawn Gary has elite level potential. I mean, he's he's his stats have been better than Miles Garrett pretty much almost every year. But fine, it doesn't matter. You know, the, the grades are better, the run defense is better for Miles Garrett. Whatever. Um, it, it's just it's such a lame excuse. Like we we have that and more, and we can't even get. I mean, right now we're struggling to get inside or outside of the bottom five. Is ridiculous. The two shut
4: down corners, you don't. Know, defenses are making it work, but much less. We have no excuse. This isn't working, and it needs to stop. And I'm seeing on Twitter, well, if we fire Joe Barry, who are we going to replace him? I don't know. It doesn't matter.
3: Yeah.
4: It does not matter who replaces him. I don't care if it's. Any positional coach, I don't care if it's Chris Passaccia, it doesn't matter because firing Joe Barry is just telling him and telling everyone else that we're not going to stand for this kind of performance. We would rather do bad, you know, trying out someone new, you know, an interim coach, or just see what will happen if we remove you from the equation. You, meaning Joe Barry, it doesn't matter. And you know, at this point, Packers' chances of getting to playoffs are very, very slim. With the way this defense is playing, you know, it's – I I, I don't see it happening. So Joe Barry has to go. They need to fire him immediately. And as for who replaces him, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. You can call Clay Matthews, see what he's doing. I don't care. Like, (laughs) it doesn't matter. He needs to go. That's the message that needs to be sent. Start looking for um, freaking D.C. immediately or to hire for next season. But if we were holding on to him because we were worried about going to the playoffs and making a run, probably not going to happen. Go ahead and let the man go. Let's see, you know, what his defense looks like with him out of the equation. That's all I got to say, man. After today's game, you know, I'm still going to watch the future games, but I'm no longer watching it, you know, with the thought of us making the playoffs, you know, and and still in a wild card game or something. It's just, you know, I'm just hoping Jordan Love comes better than he has the past two weeks. Um, in these last who's it? Three games: Panthers, uh, Vikings, Bears. I'm pretty sure. That's all I'm hoping for, man. But uh, Barry's gotta go. Just, I, I...
2: Yeah, got to go. Yeah, yeah, cut off. But it, it's it's like I said. It's like watching a preseason game at this point. I'm watching to kind of like I want to see Jordan, and I want to see this player, and I want to see that player. Like I want to see Tucker pop off again, you know. And um, that's that's all it is, man. At this point you know and and again if we happen to get in the playoffs like awesome if we go on a three game run and the defense tightens up and the offense gets back i mean listen if we play and i know it's going to be carolina but let's just say let's say we have a similar run like we did on our last three game run we dominate the panthers and everyone's like yeah but it's the panthers like we do with the chargers and then what happens the next week we go and, uh, you know, dominate another team. It's like, okay, maybe it's real. And then you do it a third time. It's like, holy. Like, if if, if that happens, you know everybody's going to be excited. Like, I'm going to be jacked up. You're going to be jacked up. Nate's going to be jacked up. Everybody's going to be excited. Everybody's going to be. And that's that's fine. So if you want to do that, that's fine. All I'm saying is, at this point in time, if that doesn't happen, I'm not heartbroken. I'm just hanging out, man. I'm just hanging out. You want to win? I'm there to watch you want to lose sucks, but just watching the only crushing thing would be to have, you know, the guys that we're really counting on to continue to to continue to grow to give us reasons to doubt Jordan love being the biggest one, but you know, Tucker's had three good games. If he has a bad game, it's not the end of the world, but it's also kind of like, Oh, was that fake? Like, was it a fake thing? Um, You know, Jaden and Wicks and all these guys, like if they start having. Although Wicks has been good like all freaking year. What a ridiculous thing that Dontavian Wicks is our highest graded receiver. I mean, he's he's just good. I mean, just he's so he's played since week one, and um, I mean his snap counts have kind of elevated, but not really. I mean he played uh, nineteen. Don't need the bedupen. Nineteen plays week one. He played 16 in week 13. So, I mean, it's the last two weeks have been like the most elevated, but no, I mean, he's just like week two, he had a 75 grade. And then, you know, through the first four weeks, it was kind of eh. Since then, though, it's just off to the races. Since week five, 71, 77, 63, 75, 67, 76, 85, 66, and 79. So seventies almost every week three games below that but they were all mid to high 60s and he also had an 85.3 grade against Kansas City you know the touchdowns are not there he hasn't had like a hundred yard game yet the receptions are not super high although this past week it was seven targets six receptions but it's just he's just good you know, and and I mean, we see that. That's the thing. Like, you look at the stats. It's like he's never had more, aside from this last game, than four receptions. He did have ninety-seven yards in this game too. But I mean, usually he's hovering around what forty, fifty yards. No touchdowns. Dude is just good at football. Six-one-two-zero-six in a four-six-two. <laughs> uh, so I, I, bottom line is, if he has a bad day, it's not gonna, it's not gonna shake me very much because although. He doesn't have to maintain this. It's possible that next year he regresses or whatever. It's going to take more than one game to kind of shake me um, because somehow he has just been solid since day one. A freaking selection 161 overall in the fifth round is uh, the fifth highest graded wide receiver right now uh, as far as rookies out of 37. Jaden Reed is ninth. Malik Heath is 15th. Uh, I thought there was one more in here. Nope. So, 37 uh, receivers, and we have three in the top 15 and uh, two in the top nine. Dontavian Wicks is one spot ahead of Jordan Addison, who is one spot ahead of Zay Flowers, who is ahead of Josh Downs, who is ahead of Jaden Reed. I mean, these are like First, second round, like, really solid receivers. And they are, including Jaden Reed. Uh, but Wicks is ahead of them. <sighs> Anyways, I'm getting sidetracked here. Um, yeah, so that's that's that. <laughs> I just I just saw that today, and I was like, how has he been good every game this year? It's ridiculous.
3: Hey, Ryan, it's New Berlin guy. What's up? Um, I, I called yesterday with a short message. We'll um, try to make this one a little bit shorter, too, but... Just reflecting on the defense yesterday. Um, Joe Barry, I, I said Joe Barry needs to be fired in my last message, and it still holds true in my mind. But just a little bit more to say. Joe Barry likes to play play that bend but don't break defense. Well, it's broken. Huh. It's broken. That's
2: very well said.
3: It's no longer bend. Don't. Or it's no longer bend but don't break. It's. Bend and break. It broke. Because no matter what we did, we have them on second and long, third and long. He would go up to zone coverage, and Baker Mayfield just picked it apart. And so they would just get the first down. No matter, like, third and short, third and medium, third and long, it didn't matter what it was. And so, that being said, he needs to be gone. He has to. If he is not gone by by next season, I'm hearing rumors that he's going to be gone immediately. But <laughs> yeah. if he's not gone by next season, I don't know how much after football I can watch. Yeah. <laughs> because it's ridiculous. And I know they say the grass isn't always greener on, greener on the other side. Well, it's probably way greener on the other side. It has to be. Our defense looks like Swiss cheese with Joe Barry as the defensive coordinator. It literally does. So, I just wanted to say those few things. I hope you have a good day. Go back Go.
2: Yeah, and I mean, it's it's just, it is just one game. I'm not trying to defend Joe Barry all of a sudden, but, you know, the point is, as I've said before, it's not true that this is how the defense has been all year, but it is true that the defense has not been good all year. You know, they have had good performances, but on the whole, it's been at best subpar. And then, you know, when you're coming off like the worst loss of your season against the Giants... You're coming down the stretch when you really need to win. You really need to pull it together. You know, everything is being scrutinized. Everything is, is, is critical. And then on top of that, your offense does actually turn it around. So they're depending on you to lock it down. Like if, For every reason, this was really, really, really bad timing. And I think it just casts such a massive spotlight on the situation to where, I mean, you've either got people who have already been on this train for probably over a year, that are just at their breaking point. Who who at this point want to fire Matt Lafleur just because he didn't fire <laughs> Joe Barry? You got people like me who've been a little bit more reserved on the I'm not so sure, but it's not great side. Just being like I'm freaking done. It's just it's just over. You know I mean it it really is to the point that bringing him back to me just feels like it's not an option. And I know it's absolutely silly to to pretend as though the the fans should have any sway in this or whatever, but. I mean, it's, it, the, the, the groundswell is unbelievable, and it's not just the fans. The national media has, has made Joe Berry out to be a laughingstock. The locker room is imploding. We've got Devondre Campbell out there making all kinds of comments, something to the tune of, like, I quit. Like, I'm not going to play if I'm hurt, which, again, I, I don't like that he made the comments. But it's worse that he felt he needed to make those comments. The fact that we have players starting to unravel to that degree, the fact we have Rashawn Gary sitting after the game out on the bench by himself, these are the things that are happening right now. This is a very serious problem. Keeping things the way they are is freaking wildly unacceptable. Wildly unacceptable. So you have until like, I don't know, mid-January, I guess, maybe early February to make a decision. If Joe Barry's given another contract, it's it's going to be a serious problem. And I have been one of the bigger Matt Lafleur defenders, aside from that stint when I was not so much. <laughs> um, and I still, I you know, there's a lot of things I like, but I, I that that would be such an unbelievably awful and catastrophic decision. And um, again, I do not think that Brian Gutekunst and Matt, L- and uh, Mark Murphy can allow that decision to be made. All right, let's sneak one in from uh, Pedro, the redhead from Brazil, real quick, and then I, I got to go to bed.
1: Hey, Ryan, it's Pedro, the redhead from Brazil. Here, what's up, man? Um, first of all, I, I want to apologize the rant that I <laughs> that I
3: had man.
1: yesterday. Um, I was really pissed off. Now I'm a little bit more calm, so I want to talk about the offense. Okay. Because if I start talking about the defense, I'm going to rent all over again. <laughs> so I, 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 am actually pretty happy with the offense. I don't think we have a really good offense by all means, but I think we have a bright future. Um, Jordan Love is looking like a, a good quarterback. He, re- he still needs to improve. That's true. But yeah, he's a pretty good quarterback. Um, I like our wide receiver room. I still think that we need that guy. Um, Reed is kind of looking like that, but not sure yet. We need a playmaker, someone that that Jordan Love trusts to, okay, this guy's going to bail me out. It was starting to look like Watson would be that guy um, in the last games, but uh, he just can't stay healthy. So I think that if Watson can't stay healthy, This offense is like a couple of offensive offensive linemen and a running back away from being a really, really good offense. We have two good tight ends now uh, that are improving, at least uh, practice, and we have a good right receiver room. We have a couple of pieces in the uh, the offensive line that are good. We have a decent quarterback. But the one thing that that I think that could and should improve is the play calling. I'm a huge Matlisberger fan. I, I like his play calling style, but I miss the play calling he had in the beginning of his career um, as an of offensive coordinator in the Rams and Titans, and even in Green Bay. I think that with a young offense, with the tight ends that we have, with the options that we have in, in the wide receiver room, and the speed we have, we should run a little bit more RPOs, play-action heavy. And I think we are not doing that because of the run uh, the running game. We, we don't have the, the run established. So I think that with the running back and a couple of offensive linemen that really can block the run better, um, this offense is going to take another step. Because if, if we start playing a little bit more like we did in – Um, I don't know, 2020 or 2019, or even the Titans uh, that Matt LaFleur was a head coach, a head coach, an offensive coach, uh, I think this is going to look pretty, pretty good. So that's it. Uh...
2: Yeah, I mean, and and this is kind of, I think, one of the reasons why everything I've said, there's reason to want to exercise patience with Matt LaFleur. I know he's been here a while, but you know, if you think about I keep going back to in Tennessee how they talked about how they he tailored the entire offense around Delaney Walker. The reason I bring that up is because you go into a season with a way that you want to structure a game plan, and that's tough. Like if you've got Aaron Rodgers, you you more or less know. Like you might have some wrinkles based on the receivers and running backs and all that, but you're building it around Rodgers. What did he? What was he going to build it around this year? Jordan Love? I mean, I guess, but you'd almost want to do it around Aaron Jones, right? Well, he's been injured all year, so is it possible that that was the plan to build it around Aaron Jones, and he got hurt? Do you build it? But the the point is, you don't even know what you have, much less how to structure your team. So there needs to be a period of learning what you have, like. He, Man, oh man, I mean, you want it to be centered around to some degree Musgrave, right? And you really like that. But then Musgrave gets hurt, and you don't really have big plans for Kraft yet. But then Kraft starts to emerge, and you've got big p- plans for Christian Watson. Obviously, he's been hurt all year, right? And you don't have any plans for Wicks. He's been emerging. Um, you know, Reed, you didn't expect him to have such a central role in the offense. I mean, everything has just kind of taken on a life of its own. and you know, to some degree, I think Matt LaFleur is kind of just flying by the seat of his pants. Like, OK, I guess Reed is the guy. So he cook, cooks up a bunch of reverses and stuff, you know. And, uh, you know, it just it, it's constantly evolving. And I think that's a good thing. I mean, it's going to, you know, think about this offense next year. And I understand there's potentially going to be injuries and there's going to be skepticism about Christian being healthy. But, you know, think about Musgrave and Kraft in the offense at the same time, obviously playing better than like when they first started. Like Craft, where he is now, with Musgrave, with Christian Watson, with, I guess, Wicks and Reed, and that's assuming we don't draft in anybody else, you know, or, or somebody else that takes a prominent role. And I didn't even mention Dobbs, you know, which seems ridiculous, but at this point, I think, that's, I think that's your lineup. Granted, there's a rotation, but, I mean, I want Watson. You gotta have Reed in the slot, and if I have to choose between Wicks and, and uh, Dobbs, I think Wicks is my guy. But again, then you get the tight ends, and either a healthy Aaron Jones and or a new running back can maybe rely on and lean on the run game a little more because it exists. So there's there's a feeling out period. And then you take this information, and you're like, okay, so this is what I have in a quarterback. This is what I have at tight end. This is what I have at offensive line. And you kind of work through it, and then you get into the draft. And you probably don't lean on rookies, but you kind of, you understand, like if they draft a... Uh, a tackle in the first round. Well, that dude's going to play. So it's like, all right, you know, you got to start thinking about what, what does that mean? You know, what if he's not very good? And da, 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 da. you know, if if we did get a wide receiver, let's say we did get, you know, neighbors or something, it's like, well, we, you know, he's going to play, but I don't know. To, eh, you, you try to factor him in and you, you work him into your game plan. This is going to take time to learn what we have and then figure out how to tailor the offense to it. And again, all things considered. Brand new offense, new quarterback, new receivers, new, you know, offensive linemen. Uh, Your running backs are out. 11th best offense in all of football. And Jordan Love is a borderline top 10 quarterback. And this is by just like, I don't know, man, we're just making stuff up on the fly here because I don't know what we're doing. I like it. I know it's not perfect. I like it. And I'm excited about the potential once things settle a little bit, once we get that core. That's the thing. We've always had a core. And then you add in like a piece, you know, there's a couple pieces, but there's really just like a piece that might be able to do something, you know, like Josiah DeGuara or AJ Dillon, like might be a piece, but even, even that was like, they were both backups. Like Dylan was not going to overtake Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. He was the number three running back when he got here and you hoped he could overtake like Jamal, which he didn't at the very least we ended up moving on from, but you know, like, it, that that was the thing. You have your core, and then you slowly add these pieces, and those pieces mostly just kind of wait in the wings, slowly learn, slowly get added in um, over time. Right now, it's like they're all new pieces. So we don't have a core, and we don't have a core understanding or a core philosophy or anything. And that's where the defense, too, does not get that excuse. You have a core. You have the exact same core that you've had, and it's a core of talented guys that have been taught your scheme for years and we are what almost at the end of year three and we're hearing the head coach say that guys are not understanding like day one install stuff what like you know let's assume it's quay he's been doing it for two years i you know i i don't know what to say to that so no i will not be exercising patience with that anyways i gotta get out of here if you guys have a good rest of your uh your day whatever i'll talk to you later bye bye